Uh, I don't know if you guys remember your dreams. Uh, I don't remember all of my dreams. I remember some of them. Uh, but one that I remembered recently um, involved a visitation from Matthew Whitney. I don't know if Matt's here. Yeah, there he is. Uh, anybody else have Matt Whitney in their dreams? I, nobody else. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember a lot of the details of the dream. Uh, but I remember that there was some sort of frenetic activity going on, some sort of anxiety-inducing work of some sort. And Matt comes up to me, and he says, Dude, you don't know how to bask. I was like, that's a weird thing to say. But it, when, it made so much sense in my dream, that like, like basking as in you bask in the sun, right? You relax, you rest. Dude, you don't know how to bask. And I woke up, um, and I thought... Uh, there's some truth there for me, right? Uh, this is, and so I, I emailed Matt and I thanked him for his, his prophetic word in my life through my dreams. Um, and I, I say this, I mean, it's a funny story. Uh, there's also like, that, that's a pretty profound statement, right? Uh, especially accompanied by the dude in front of it. I don't know that that would ever come out of Matt's. Yeah, that's what you'd, that's how you'd say it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's true. Uh, so dreams are, um, they're dreams, but this one in particular, right, it's no less true. Like there's some truth for me to wrestle with in this dream. And I, I mentioned dreams because we're here in Revelation. We're here in a book of dreams, a book of visions, a book of metaphors and images. And, uh, I think that that understanding that the power of, of these images, that while they are, are perhaps more in that, um, imaginative and, and, and metaphor realm, they are no less true, right? We haven't left the realm of truth to deal with just imaginary dreams. We're still in the realm of truth and reality, um, but we're not, we're in it in a different way than we are, say, in the Gospels, right, or in Paul's letters. Both Summer and Randy have done a good job of introducing us to Revelation, so I won't spend much more time on kind of how it is that we should approach this book. I would encourage you to go back, listen to both of their introductions over the last two weeks, but um, I'm going to keep reminding us that how we approach Revelation really matters, partly because the church has a wonderful history of getting it really wrong a lot of the time. Um, and we've taken a lot of, uh, of this book uh, very literally when it's, it's, a, it's a dream, it's a vision, but no less real and no less true. The very first Greek word in this book is uh, the Greek word for apocalypse. The word apocalypse, we think destruction and doom. Uh, that's, what we he, that's what we think, but that's not what the word means. The word simply means revelation, which is why we call it revelation. It means to uncover something that's been hidden, to reveal something. That's what this book is about. It's about a, a revelation, a revealing of something that's been hidden. It's about uncovering the reality of heaven, the truth of, of, of heaven, not necessarily as this place that we fly off to when we die, but as this reality, this realm where God's will is done, where his kingdom is. This vision that John receives on the Isle of Patmos, is, it's the lifting back of a veil where we get an insight into what that looks like. And there's a lot of places in this book where he kind of runs out of words to describe what he's seeing. And so he uses, I mean, he, he sees these incredible images um, as a way of trying to get our imaginations involved in this, this place where God's will is done, this, his kingdom, heaven. Another way to think about what is being revealed in this book is to think of the end, 
Um, and again, we often think of the end as in like the completion and the finality of things. Um, but I think uh, Revelation shows us more about the end in terms of uh, what the Greeks called telos, uh, which has to do more with purpose and intent. That in, in Revelation we see this is, this is the, the end, the purpose, the intent of all things. This is the direction that everything is moving. It's the same way in which the, the first question of the, the Westminster Catechism is asked, right? Uh, what is the chief end of humankind? What's the chief purpose, the chief intent of humankind? Anybody know the answer? Yes, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think there's a, a way in which that's what we see in this entire book of Revelation. This is the answer to that, that question. What is the chief end, the chief purpose of all of humanity, of all of creation, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if that's not what we got a glimpse of in that reading, thank you, Izzy, for reading that. Um, I don't know what that is. It's, that's a, I love this passage. So what is, what is the end? What is the purpose, right? It's, it's this marriage scene, actually. What we have is a, is a brief description of this wedding, this marriage of heaven and earth meeting together. It's not the annihilation of the physical realm. It's not the total destruction of all things physical. It's the marriage of heaven and earth together. And this is represented by this new city, this Jerusalem, which uh, has been both the, the place of hope for the Israelites, but it's also been this incredible place of idolatry and destruction. I mean, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem on his way to the cross. But it's a new Jerusalem. Something has changed. Something's been transformed. And it's coming down from heaven to, God, uh, to, uh, from heaven to earth. And I think that, uh, that is an important piece of this whole picture that really is consistent with what we see throughout all of Scripture, that God is always the one moving towards us, that heaven is always moving towards earth. It's not our work. We're, we are unable of moving, he- moving earth towards heaven. Always God and his grace is reaching out towards us. We see that in uh, the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve are hiding because of their, the shame they feel for their sin. God seeks them out. He pursues them in the Garden. We see this most clearly, I think, in the Incarnation, in Jesus, God taking on flesh. And, as, uh, and actually, as John, who wrote Revelation, as he begins his Gospel account, he says, moving into the neighborhood, right? Dwelling among us. Heaven coming to earth. We're going to pray uh, after the sermon, and uh, one of the ways that we pray is we, we, we adopt the language that Jesus taught his disciples. And there's a line in there about, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we have here is we, we peeled back the curtain a bit, and we see what the answer to that prayer looks like. Heaven coming to earth. Maybe another way of, of thinking about this, uh, thinking about the, the, the end, right, the telos, the intent, the purpose, is that it's not an end, again, in that finality sense, but it's, an, uh, it's a new beginning, right? Um, I, C.S. Lewis, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the, the last battle, which is the final book in that whole series, towards the end of that book, uh, he's, he's narrating the scene, and I think he captures something of how an end can be a new beginning in the way that John is describing in Revelation in a, in a helpful way. So I just want to read this. 
uh, as Aslan spoke, Aslan's right, the great lion, um, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, capital G, capital S, which no one on earth has read and which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. How good is that? Lewis captures something here that I think uh, uh, John also captures, which is the challenge of describing something that's indescribable. And Lewis, in a, in a way, it's a little bit of a cop-out. He's like, it was so great that I can't even write about it. So um, there is a way, though, of describing things that are so wonderful um, that you, you describe them by what they're not. It's the via negativa is the fancy way of talking about it, right? There's, you're trying to describe something that's so indescribable that the best you can do is to describe what it's not. Um, I, <laughs> I was in a band called the Opiate Mass for a while, and uh, we, we, got a, we were reviewed by Christianity Today. They actually reviewed our music. We had put out a Christmas album, and it was a short, just a paragraph of you. It was a bunch of Christmas albums. And they described our, our music in the via negativa when they said, that was, it's a lot of things, but it's not joyful. That's kind of, yeah. Um, if, if you remember from, from this passage in uh, uh, chapter 21, John spends most of his time describing this reality by what is not there, by what is absent in heaven and earth meeting. And the first thing that we notice is that there's no longer any sea which for those of us who live in Seattle and who are close to the water and who love the water is kind of a bummer. <laughs> but what is meant by that is not necessarily that the sea is all burned up and just dry and all the things that live in the sea are no more. That's not what he's saying. The sea in the imagination of the Israelites, in the Jewish imagination, uh, the sea represents chaos. You see this throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. The sea is always this realm of chaos and disorder. And, and, and so what John is describing here is a complete removal of anything that represents chaos and disorder. There is there's peaceful order in this new world, in this new reality of heaven and earth meeting. No longer any sea, no longer any chaos, anything that's out of control. And then verse 4 is perhaps the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's so wonderful, this vision, that all I can say is what's not there. And what I notice is not there is death, mourning, crying, pain. These things fall in this category of the old order of things. And in this new reality, they are no more. They're gone completely. The old order of things, I think for us, uh, is just the order of things. 
or we perceive it that way, right? This is just the way that things are. Uh, this is just the reality of life. Like, it's beautiful and it's broken. And this is, this is true. This is our experience, right? The, none of us lives in a world uh, where all the tears are, are already wiped away from the eyes, where there is uh, an absence, complete absence of mourning, crying, or pain. That's not the world or the reality that we experience. Um, so for us, it's just the order of things. But John says, in this vision, that actually those things are part of an old order that at some point is completely passed away, and that even now is passing away. We see these things on a daily basis in our lives, in the world. I mean, I feel like, we, maybe, maybe you mentioned this in a sermon recently, but we, every now and then we'll watch the news, and Amelia was watching the news with Summer and was just commenting on how like, depressing it was. I mean, it's just, it's a, news is just like a litany of the old order of things, right? You open up your app, you read through the news. By and large, you're just listing off, yeah, mourning, crying, pain, suffering. There it is. Um, but here's this vision of all of that stuff, no more. And I think what we see in Jesus having inaugurated the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, this, this, this place of heaven and earth meeting, it, it, it's not complete yet, obviously. We, we know that from experience. But we, what we hear in Jesus is saying that it has begun. Uh, the, the, the old order of things has begun to pass away. The beginning of God making all things new, it, it has begun. It's started. And I think that one of the ways that we can participate in this, one of the ways that we can experience the hope of this, even now, uh, is, is by bearing witness to it when we see it. Uh, bearing witness is, a, is another theme throughout Revelation. John is called uh, in this vision to bear witness to it, right? Even in this passage, right? Write these things down. These things are trustworthy and true. Bear witness to this. And, and in his encouragement to these churches in Turkey that he's writing to, He's encouraging them to bear witness to Christ in the midst of a really difficult uh, culture that wants to persecute them. Bearing witness is this theme that we see in Revelation. And I want to suggest that that's the invitation to us. And that in bearing witness to both, to two things. To the things that God, the places where God is making all things new. And to the things that are actually, truly part of the old order of things that are passing away. As we bear witness to those two truths, so those two realities, we will begin, I believe, to, to actually experience um, the, 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 the truth that the pain that we feel is ultimately part of the old order of things passing away. That, that, that may not make it any less painful right now, but that does set it in its place, right? And when we see uh, God making things new in this world, in our lives, in the lives of our friends, um, we can bear witness to it and identify that's, that's not just good luck, right? Like this is, this, is, this is God doing a new thing in the world, in you. And I think it's important to remember too uh, that the, the grace in all of this is that this, this is a work that God is doing. God is the one who is bringing about this reality, the marriage of heaven and earth. Uh, and, and, and our job is to receive it and, and to, to bear witness to it. Um, we are incapable of making it happen. So I think that the place to begin with uh, in bearing witness to these things is simply in relationship, in the relationships that we already have, to start there. 
I, I've been on the receiving end of this, uh, the giving and receiving end of this. I was trying to reflect on, on times in my life where I felt like someone bore witness to something that God was doing in me. Uh, and, and some of the instances that came to my mind kind of had to do with identity, right? Like who, who, I, who I was or who I perceived myself to be. One of those was around um, just sort of feeling comfortable calling myself a musician. That, that For a long time, that just felt like that was for other people who were real musicians. And it was someone who, uh, who just called me, like referred to me as a musician. They didn't think much of it, but how I experienced that was as a, uh, like a, an affirmation of my identity. And in, in, in the language of this passage, it was an affirmation of a new thing that God was doing in me, that this was part of how God had made me. Um, and someone else identifying that for me, oh, yeah, okay, thank you for that. I'm, I am one. I, uh, I have felt similarly about my, my work and my, my role as pastor. Uh, as I transitioned into this role maybe four-plus years ago, uh, I think there were times where, uh, from my own insecurity and fear, where I just I wasn't sure that that fit, right? felt like an ill-fitting shirt. Um, but I received grace and a gift from a number of you who, um, who referred to me as your pastor, would introduce me to your friends or your coworkers as your pastor. And I'm, I am so not a person about titles. Any of you know, who knows me, I hope knows that. Like, I don't care if... The title is not the thing. Um, but what, what the thing was, was a, a question of identity and, and, a, and a, a pushing back against maybe fear and insecurity that oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. And then one of you or several of you say, no, this is my pastor. And I received that as you bearing witness to a new thing that God was doing in me. That was a gift. I feel like I've had the chance to do this on the, on the other end, um, in a few conversations, particularly around um, you know, folks who are wanting, uh, couples who are wanting to connect with each other but struggling to do so. Spouses that are wanting to connect with each other, um, but, but it's hard. It's not always an easy thing. And um, I, in those conversations, I don't know how much practical wisdom I have to offer, but what I have been able to do is say that desire that you have, that hunger that you have right now that's being expressed, that is from God. That is a new thing that God is doing in you and in your relationship. So I can, I can bear witness simply to the hunger and to the desire that's there for connection and for reconciliation. Say, that, that's evidence of God at work right there. I, those are just a couple of examples that I was reflecting on. Um, and I wonder if our, our, our meals can't be more like this, right? Our conversations over coffee. Just little, little insights, little reflections where we can bear witness to something in someone's life and say, this is a new thing that God's doing in you. Can our parenting look like that? Can our parenting be about uh, bearing witness to the new thing that God is doing in our kids and calling that out? I think there's incredible power there. But part of what we're called to bear witness to as well are the things that are part of the old order of things that is passing away. And my mom did that for me when I was in high school. And I don't know if I've told this story here before, but my mom identified something in me, uh, and this was not the language that she used because it would have sounded very weird, but uh, she identified something in me that was part of, it's part of the old order of things that one day will be completely passed away, but even now is passing away and invited me to participate in its passing away. 
When I was in high school, uh, I was a good runner. I've, I've been running now like once a week, which I'm convinced is the right frequency to feel all of the pain and, and gain none of the benefit. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just hurts. And I'm not sure. I, so I'm working up to like twice a week. But I used to be a good runner. I was really involved, and in, I, ran, I ran track and cross country, and then in the off-season, as I got better, we would do indoor track. I was also really involved in our youth group, and there was a weekend in high school where there was a, a youth group event and an indoor track meet at the same time, on the same day. And I really respected my coach, and I really respected my youth pastor, and I was paralyzed in my ability to make a decision about what I was going to do. I didn't want to disappoint them. Uh, and my mom called out in me my tendency towards people-pleasing. She said, Mark, you are going to, like, you are never going to be able to live your life and please everyone. Like, this is not possible. It's not healthy. And, uh, like, this is, this is part, she didn't use this language again, but this is something, your, your fear of, of disappointing people, um, of, of using that as your basis of making a decision, that is part of the old order of things that needs to pass away. And I, uh, I've reflected back on this conversation uh, a number of times. And, you know, what's interesting is I don't, um, I don't remember her giving me any advice. She didn't make a decision for me. She didn't tell me which one I should choose. Um, and I don't actually even remember which one I did. I don't remember if I went to the youth group thing or the track meet. I have no, no memory of that. But I remember my mom saying this. I remember her identifying in me something that needed to die. It's part of the old order of things, and it needed to die. And I'm profoundly grateful that she did. And I, uh, this is a lifelong journey for me. Uh, this is not something I have yet conquered. Um, but it is, it is a part of, part of the growth, part of the new thing that God is doing in me, uh, is the death of this thing that part of the old order of things, making a decision out of fear, right? Always being ruled by what other people think of me or my perception of that. So John has, in this chapter, and we're going to look a little more at this over the next couple of, of weeks. We're going to finish out Revelation. But he has pulled back just a corner of the veil to give us a glimpse of, of our future, but also to give us a glimpse of, of what is true right now. This is not just a reality for the future. There is also uh, parts of this reality that are available and happening right now. God is doing presently new things. He is making things new. Hasn't been finished yet. He is bringing about the end of the old order of things. Not completely yet. We still experience pain, but we now know, we now have a vision, an imagination for where to put those things. They have an end. And their end actually is a finality. It is a finishing. They're done. One of my favorite hymns closes this way. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven will be one. We're going to come to the table. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Uh, and part of that's just going to be some silence to reflect on this image. In fact, I want to read, let me read the passage one more time just to get it in our imagination. And this will lead us into a time of prayer. Then I saw a new heaven, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. 